Mitch Gerber Audio Experience. It's time for another edition of the Mitch Gerber Audio Experience, and I am fired up for today's guest. He is the founder of Hoops Nation and Cards Nation, host of the Buster Show, creator of No Days Off Seats, and also an expert in the physical and digital collectibles world, as well as an NFT guru, Buster Share. Buster, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me. Well, absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. Buster, I want this to be a 101 episode of all things collectibles, NFTs, and social media. So I want to start with an off-the-wall question for you. The NFL draft just wrapped up over this past weekend, and it got me thinking, what would be the most valuable collectible item for Trayvon Walker, who was selected first overall in the 2022 NFL draft? So probably... It depends how he plays in his first game. If it if he has a great first game, then it'll be the game-worn jersey from that game. If he doesn't have a great game, then it'll probably be their best rookie card, which would be an NFL Shield logo man one-of-one. How did you even get started in the collectibles world? I started buying and selling basketball cards in 2013, you know, and I, I sort of saw it back then as the stock market for athletes. Um, so it's, it was the only way that you could bet on a player with $1, you know, that was more of a long-term thing. And, you know, like Giannis cards that I bought for $1 in 2013, you know, ended up being worth over 5,000. So that's, you know, not a terrible ROI of 5,000 X, um, you know, so that, that's how I got started. And then I just fell in love with the idea, and the research and the process and the education behind it. And then, you know, when NFTs came around, it was just the natural progression of that. Um, but, you know, I think finding things before other people is exciting. And I just like personally collecting and, and building collections as well, probably because I'm a hoarder, but <laughs> it benefits me that way. That's super cool. What would you say is the biggest misunderstanding of the whole collectible space as it stands today? I mean, these days, I don't, I don't think there really are, you know, everybody wants to make money and even hedge funds do the opportunity now years ago it was that only like sports nerds do it but i don't i think that's a compliment not an offense anyways but other people would view it as as different how did you educate yourself on the space you said that you like to be one of the first people when it comes to new things and you have obviously excelled in that space how did you educate yourself from day one that hey like there's freaking something here well, at the beginning, I didn't think that there was something there. I just enjoyed it. Um, and I, I think it starts with that. Like anything anybody does, you can't, you can never really do something just for the money. Like it usually doesn't end up working out long term. Like if you want to do a podcast, but you don't enjoy podcasting, I would bet the farm that it's not going to work out. And if you want to get into collectibles and you just want to make money, I would bet the farm that you're not going to make money as well. The same thing applies to pretty much anything anybody does, because if they don't really love it, they're not going to be just talking about it organically in conversation. They're not going to be sleeping and having dreams about it like, you know, I do for all the stuff that I am passionate about. Right. So you really just got to love it. Otherwise, talk to people who love it and and get their advice and, and do what they say. But I mean, you know, there a lot of people can give bad advice. We, we've seen that in sports cards, you know. So definitely would be careful if you're not super passionate about it and love it. That's good advice and filters directly into our next topic. Buster, if you were an athlete that wants to get involved in the collectibles and NFT space today, where would you start? 
Well, again, I think it depends why they want to do it. If, it, if they're in it to make money, I go towards something else that they're passionate about. Um, like if, if you love, you know, a certain, you know, food, brand, product, anything, I would go into that before I ventured into NFTs because you're probably going to lose all your money in NFTs, even if you are passionate about it. That's just, you know, the fact of the matter at today's point in time, a year and a half ago, you throw ETH at it and everything's up 20x, you know, like it was pretty hard to fail back then, but now you really got to be in it. My best advice for people who are passionate about it or want to learn if they're passionate or not about it would be to dive into a bunch of discords for the biggest projects. So Board API Club has a, a floor of about $400,000. I would dive into their discord. I would dive into the CryptoPunks discord, which has a floor of about 200K. I would dive into, you know, Cool Cats discord. I would dive into the Moonbirds discord. You know, I would do some of that and follow people with, you know, ape punk profile pictures on Twitter and just see what they're talking about. Because obviously they, you know, made a bet that that did really well. I think $200 into, uh, into minting a board ape would equate to about a million dollars today. Um, so it's in, it's in a little, a little less than a year, $200 to a million dollars. Um, so there are great, you know, opportunities out there and Moonbirds, you know, a week ago was 5k and today it's hundred K. So these things still exist. Um, if you're willing to put in, in the work and, um, you know, really, really research, but again, most projects aren't going to do that. Most projects are going to mint high and, and go down or you're going to get rug pulled. So a lot of things to be wary of, but best way to learn, uh, is to follow people who have been successful in the space. Explain what Board Ape is. Board Ape is a is an NFT project. Um, that's ten that there are ten thousand of them, and they are quite literally JPEGs of Board Apes. But it's a bigger company, and they're working on you know tons of different uh, products and projects, such as creating digital land that's for sale. And they created their own currency called ApeCoin, um, which is now I think, as of recording this about twenty six dollars per token, and they gave. Um, everybody who owned an ape at the time, it was $80,000 worth, but now it's about $250,000 worth just for owning this ape. Um, but they are a company that, you know, is represented by these ape JPEGs. That's fascinating. What would your advice be to an athlete who has set their profile picture as an NFT? I would be careful a, because it's an endorsement, right? Everybody that sees, sees that as an endorsement. So Unless you really believe in the project, I wouldn't do it because then other people who are your fans are gonna are gonna go buy into it, and it's not your financial responsibility, but it is a little bit of a moral responsibility. Um, so I'd be careful with that. But if there are projects you love, yeah, you should definitely rock it. You know, like with my NFT project, a lot of people that own it, um, they they rock it as their profile pictures, and it's awesome. And I can you know I can personally vouch for it because of you know what I know we're building. What do you feel like the biggest disconnect is between athletes and the NFT space right now? Biggest disconnect? Well, I, I think a lot of people who don't do their research, and this isn't just athletes, but it's influencers too. It's they get paid off by these projects just to promote them and they don't know what they're promoting. When in reality, what they're promoting is a rug pull, which is when somebody mints out a project and then they just take the money and run. And I've seen athletes, I've seen influ I've seen some of the biggest influencers with 10 plus million followers promote literal rug pulls where they mint 
all the fans buy it, and then the founders run away with the money and delete the project. That's terrible. Yeah. No, they're like, people will go to jail if they're caught, but a lot of it happens internationally. So how do you avoid that? Like, how, how do you avoid the whole rug pull thing? So probably the number one thing I'd look for is a doxed founder. So you actually know who they are. A lot of people in the NFT space are anonymous. And I think that's fine, but not when they're founding a project and they have nothing to lose. So when minting a project, I look for doxed founders that have something to lose because their faces and brand and everything is attached to it. But when it's an, an anonymous founder, I would wait to see them actually you know, deliver on their promises before putting ETH into it. Let's transition towards social media because you've had a ton of success in that space as well. At this time, if you're a professional or collegiate athlete, how can you continue to boost your following? Yeah, so I would, I would build around things that I'm passionate about, right? Like the biggest money that I've seen people make in NIL is for the most part, uh, female college athletes um, who have built a giant brand for themselves off of things that aren't just related to their sport, but all, all things similar to how a general influencer would. And I, that's really how I would look at it. Like being an athlete is great, but, you know, to be more than the other athletes, you have to also be an influencer. So I would think about it from an influencer approach, which is, um, which would be doing things outside of the sport, just that you're passionate about. Say you like cooking, say you like collectibles, say you like all this stuff. And I would, I would push towards those. I would also, here's a little hack. I would connect with the people who own big sports pages um, and befriend them and hook them up in whatever ways that you can, because they got a lot of power. And I realized that running hoops nation, how NBA players would try to do that. But I think there's no reason that, you know, people on the collegiate level, uh, couldn't as well. Really? So an NBA player will hit you up in the DMs and say, Hey, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. Just kind of yeah, befriend yeah, try, you. Try to be friends, but I know it's very transact. The goal is transactional. What's the respectable right way to go about that and say, Hey, I don't want this to be just transactional. I also want to learn from you. If it was me on the other end. What I would yeah. do is I would offer tickets to a sporting event to that person. Like, yo, when you're in town, like, I got you. Come through. Come out with us afterwards. Easy. Game over. <laughs> That's what I would uh, do if I were them. You tweeted recently that original content with a high watch percentage is so underrated and that it can give you the keys to the world. Why is that? Well, if people are stuck to the stuck to the screen. So the reason I tweeted that, I was looking at our at the collectibles content and our average watch time is 104%. So that means that the average person is watching every video more than once. And I was like, damn, you know, if you can keep people captivated for that long, you can promote anything. The brands will want to be involved with that type of stuff. Um, and granted, those are short videos, longer videos. It's, it's not as true for. Um, but I mean, there's a reason why podcasts are the highest um ad revenue out of any content medium because they're so long and they have such a high watch time or, or high watch percentage plus high watch time and in, in minutes and hours. Um, so if you can get people to really care about you and the content, you can do anything. You can build any brand. You can support any positive uh, endeavor activity. You can literally do anything in the world.
Okay, so with all that said, then, if you were a collegiate athlete today, where would you set your focus right now to capitalize off your name, image, and likeness? I mean, shoot, if I was a college athlete, what I would do is the same thing that I did. I would build a page around the sport that I'm playing and then boost myself using that page. Um, like that's what I did when I was young. I built this giant basketball media and then I used it to promote all the broadcasting stuff that I was doing um, because I knew people weren't just going to care about me. I had to build the platform to give myself the platform. Um, so I would do the exact same thing if I were a college athlete around, around that sport. Um, so I'd be talking about the sport, you know, I, it's tough. Like it depends what sport and how many people care about it, but like basketball, football, track, I think there's tennis. I think there's entertaining enough stuff there, um, to make media accounts around that and, and boost themselves up. But that's obviously a little bit more complicated. No doubt. Uh, what about brand managers and stuff like that? We're seeing that in the college space right now with, Hey, do you go sign with an agency? Do you go sign with this person? That person I see you shaking your head. No. Why? It depends who you are. I hate managers and agents uh, personally, but that's probably also because I enjoy doing the emails and talking to people and figuring stuff out and not giving somebody a percentage of what I make unless they're directly involved with the execution of it. Um, like I'd rather give per those percentages to my team than somebody random outside who says one thing after all the work's been done. Because it's like, if you're, if you're a college athlete, and you have a, you've built yourself a legitimate following. Um, it's like, uh, it's like an iceberg and you've built everything that's underwater. And then they're just like coming and meeting you at the very top to like do it. But then they take more than what they were there for. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, if people are bringing, if somebody, if there's a real opportunity to, for somebody to bring you a lot of deals and you're already in a great position, maybe it makes sense, but athletes have a lot more power than they realize and that they can just reach out to brands on their own and DMS and, you know, so on. How often as somebody like you that has a successful career in the space, how often are you reaching out to different people? Oh, every day, especially right now, artists, because for, for my NFT project, we're trying to work with hundreds of different artists. So I'm in there every day connecting with new artists and new people that, you know, I think, I think make really great work. Let's end on this question. So the, the essence of this podcast is trying to answer the question, what is brand? Such a broad, vague term, and everybody has a different perspective on what that term means. You being an entrepreneur, you being somebody that's been successful in the social media space, NFT, collectible, so on and so forth. How would you define what brand is? It's reach, right? you know, reach is going to affect reach and, you know, uh, impact, right? Because your reach is going to affect how you're able to monetize your brand and your impact is how the legacy from your brand is built, um, you know, and you're able to build real things for yourself. So I, that, the combination of those two things is how I would, um, how I would describe it. Buster, great advice, great insight, and appreciate you dropping some knowledge on us today. Let's do it again down the road. Sounds great.